Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. I love the book of Philippians because Paul takes the time to speak to the church of Philippi. There's a lot of times in his books where he's dealing with issues. He's dealing with problems. And sure, in the book of Philippians, there are a few of those moments, but the overall thrust, the overall thought in the book of Philippians is no matter what you face in life, no matter what you come up against, no matter what you experience, no matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter what, choose joy. And as I was preparing this series, and we began to put it all together, I began to think of the environment around us, culture around us, and I would, I would venture to say that society as a whole hasn't chosen joy. There's a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? There's a lot of strife, there's a lot of concern, there's a lot of fear, there's frustration. But Paul reminds us over and over again in the book of Philippians that we, as the believer, as the Christian, aren't to mimic the response and the behaviors of this world. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but be transformed with the renewing of our minds. How do we do that? We allow all that God is to consume all that we are. Let me say that again. The way that we move away from being molded and shaped by the world, and let's be honest, the world's really good about thrusting their culture upon everybody. Right? There, there's a, there's a, 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 a loud minority that likes to push their thoughts. Come on now. But we, the Christian, we, the believer, we, the follower of Christ, our responsibility is to take upon the very nature of God. How do we take upon the nature of God? We let all that He is consume all that we are, and suddenly we can't help but to allow Him to overflow through us to reach the world around us. So now, no longer is the culture molding and shaping us, come on, somebody, but now we have the opportunity to mold and shape the culture. I was going to tell you that this message was going to be a little different. It's going to be more teaching than preaching, but so far I'm not doing very well at that. Paul says, even in a time of uncertainty, even when things aren't easy, even when opposition comes your way, he says, let me remind you, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And we're going to talk about that at the very end of the message. So pinmark that thought, the joy of the Lord be our strength. What does that look like in our lives today? We'll come back to it in about 30 minutes. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something with the intent of doing good 
but it was not really perceived or received that way. Or maybe you saw a situation when somebody should have stepped in to do good, yet no one rose to the occasion. Has anybody ever seen either of those experiences? Absolutely. We see it regularly in life. I found four news articles that kind of have that same feel. First one is this. A reporter in San Bernardino, California, arranged for a man to lay down in the gutter on a busy street. And hundreds of people passed by this man. But would you believe that not a single one of them stepped up to help this man? Not a single one of them showed him any sympathy. Another, newspapers across the country a few years ago told how 38 people watched as a man stalked a young lady and finally attacked her, and not a single one of the spectators even picked up the phone to call the police. Another, a couple of teenagers in Detroit discovered a woman in a telephone booth. Now, this was a few years back because some of you, the younger generation, have no idea what a telephone booth is. You think it's the place where Superman goes in to change clothes. But we actually had phones in them, and you called people. But a group of teenagers discovered that this woman was in a telephone booth, and she had suffered a heart attack. So they, they grabbed her, and they rushed her to the nearby house. They rang the doorbell consistently and continuously on that, on that house, asking for help. Could somebody come help this lady? She's had a heart attack. The only response that they got was the homeowner on the inside yelling out, get off my porch and take her with you. Another story, a Kentucky doctor was driving down the highway on his way to visit a patient when he saw a car accident take place. He stopped and he gave aid to those that were injured in the accident and then he went on and made his visit. Later, one of the drivers that he helped sued him. Is it possible, is it even possible in the year 2020 to be a good Samaritan? Is it even possible to do what is right? That's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks as we look at this idea of allowing our ideas and our thoughts to be transformed to resemble that or display that of Christ. Our text today, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And I feel like the last four weeks we've heard this scripture over and over. You must have, in fact, would you read that with me this morning? You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, I heard this side pretty excited about this. This side was a little quiet on me this morning, so we're going to give this side just a little more opportunity. It's kind of a high school moment. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you, right? So we're going to try this. This side of the room first. Would you say it with me? You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, this side, let's find out how much spirit you have. Are you ready? 
Here we go. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, why did I make such a big deal out of this verse? Because this verse shows us everything. That if we will just grab a hold of this idea of who Jesus is, if we will just grab a hold of the heart of God, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, Jesus being willing to give his all so that we could have life. Jesus himself says, just as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And here Paul says, you've got to have the same attitude. Wow. Wrap yourself around that just for a moment. If we're really to, to offer the great commission to go into the world and make disciples of, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And by the way, what is the good news? The good news is this. There is hope that Jesus offers hope that we don't have to be spiraling downward, that we don't have to be tripped up moment after moment, but there's freedom in Jesus. Amen? You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. But sadly enough, it's not a new behavior for mankind to be self-centered. We witness it on a daily basis. But the sad reality is Paul struggled to find somebody that cared enough about others that he could send to the church of Philippi. Look at this. One of the saddest scriptures, I believe, in the Bible. Paul says this, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Boy, that's encouraging to the church of Philippi. Could you imagine if Encounter Church got a letter in the mail tomorrow and, and Paul sent the letter, it took a while to get here, and Paul sent the letter, and we open it up, and Paul says, man, I'm so sorry. There is nobody but Timothy that loves you. Now, Paul knew a lot of people. Paul was very influential. Paul had a lot of contacts, right? Surely amongst all the people, surely amongst all the churches, surely amongst all the Christians, there were a handful of people that genuinely loved, but yet Paul says, I've got no one. No one like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Again, one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. Out of all of his connections, he can only find one. And, and I wonder, are we stuck in that same behavior as all the others that Paul referenced? Are we simply concerned about self and not about others? Today I want to talk to you for just a few moments about two very ordinary people 
that Paul references to give us everyday examples of what it means to truly follow after the very nature of Jesus Christ. Because it would be easy for us to look at this scripture like Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 and go, Pastor, there is no way. There is no way I can have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. I mean, he was fully God and fully man. I am completely man. Right? And as man, as a human, as a person, I'm faulty at best. In fact, the Bible even tells me I'm going to mess up. So there's no way. Pastor, I can't. I can't fulfill this calling or this directive from Paul. It would be easy for us to say I'm just an average Joe. Yeah, Paul says this. He says that we are to uh, resemble that nature of Jesus Christ. But come on, Paul was the one that, that Jesus shined the light and blinded him and spoke from the heavens and called him by name. And it's uh, just not me. I'm not sure that I can do this. That's why I believe that Paul gives us this example, these two average individuals. And yes, they have godlike hearts and they have godlike passion. But Paul wants us to know that a full God pursuits is not something we should just enjoy for ourselves, but something we're to offer to those around us. That every single one of us in the room today can experience that very nature of Jesus Christ if we will simply apply the very word of God. So I want to look today at two examples, two ordinary examples. Look at your neighbor and say, you're ordinary. Two ordinary examples of a true godly pursuit. Number one, Timothy. Timothy is the first one we read about it. Remember, he's the one that Paul says, I've got no one else like Timothy. He's the only one that truly, genuinely is concerned about you. He's the only one that really loves you. But I, I think Paul puts Timothy in here. Um, Paul understood Timothy. Paul not only believed in Timothy, he spent time investing in Timothy. He trusted Timothy. And it's, it's vital that, that we as believers, it's vital that we as Christians support one another, that we encourage one another, that we come alongside one another. By the way, did I mention earlier that we have life groups starting next Sunday night? Oh, just in case I forgot, next Sunday night, life groups start, we need one another. So let's take a quick moment, let's look at Timothy's life couple of characteristics of Timothy. Number one, he had a servant's heart. Timothy had a servant's heart. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. Then when he comes back, he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Let me ask, why 
is a servant's heart so important? Why do we need to have a servant's heart? Now remember, we just read in verse 5 that we are to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. We are to take upon the nature that he displayed. What is that nature? Jesus Christ was willing to be a servant of all. He was willing to give himself for the betterment of somebody else. You see, by having a servant's heart, we are allowing our mind and our actions and even our reaction to come in line with that of Jesus. Timothy demonstrated this care to those around him. But remember, Jesus deserved everything. Yet he took nothing. Right? Jesus deserved everything, yet he took nothing. And we likewise are to display that very nature. And Timothy did a great job. He had a servant's heart. Number two, Timothy had a servant's demeanor. He had a servant's demeanor. In other words, not only was it on the inside, but he allowed that to be translated to the outside. But it's important to understand here, it started with a servant's heart. I don't believe that God just wants us to gussy up on the outside. I don't think he just wants us to look the part on the outside because Jesus talking to the religious folk in his day, the the Pharisees, he said, man, you guys look really good on the outside. You do a great job dressing up. You do a really good job of getting the face all ready for for everybody to see. But here's the problem. You're dead on the inside. How would you like Jesus to look at you and go, You're a whitewashed tomb. That'd be rough, wouldn't it? But that's what he said to the Pharisees. But I love the example that Paul gives us here with Timothy. It starts with a heart. He says, man, Timothy's got a heart after the things of God. Timothy has allowed his heart to be changed and transformed. And now, not only is it on the inside, but it's translated to his demeanor on the outside. What's on the inside is revealed for all to see. Verse 22 says this, But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. So why is this idea of a servant's demeanor so important? Because it revealed to Paul and it reveals to the church of Philippi, and quite honestly, it reveals to us that Timothy was dependable. He was trustworthy. He did the hard work. He was willing to move forward for the cause of Christ. His lifestyle reflected what he spoke, but it also reflected what he learned. Where did he get this training? By studying the Word of God, by hiding the Word in his heart, by allowing Paul to sharpen him, by learning together. By the way, did I say that life groups start next Sunday night? Just in case you didn't hear that yet. By learning together. But it goes on to show us that, he, that Timothy put into motion what he learned. It's so easy to come into 
a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday night worship service or even a life group experience. It's so easy to go into that moment and gain the knowledge. It's so easy to understand what, what the Bible is having to say, but implementing that on the outside, implementing that to a world that really doesn't understand, sometimes that's a little difficult. I'm just being transparent with you. But pastor, you're the pastor. You're supposed No, 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 no. We are supposed to. My job is to equip you. Well, where did you get that? The Bible. The Bible says that my responsibility is to equip you, to give you knowledge, to help you grab a hold of it. Your responsibility is to do the work for the kingdom of God. What is that work? To go into all the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. To raise up disciples to help others grab a hold of that hope, to help others grab a hold of the love, to help others come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you've never done it, the greatest moment ever is to stand face to face with somebody and introduce them to Jesus Christ. But don't I have to do that at the front of the church? No. No, that can happen anywhere. doesn't matter where you are. I challenge you, begin to do the work for the kingdom of God. Allow who God is to be translated to the outside of who you are. That's what Timothy did. He not only had it in his heart, but he displayed it in his demeanor. He displayed it on the outside of his life. Number three, he gained a servant's reward. Oh, there you go, Pastor. That's what we want. We want that reward, right? That's, that's our culture. What's in it for me? You see, that's not the servant's reward. That's the selfish, self-seeking reward. What's the servant's reward? Well, it says in verse 23 and 24, Paul speaking, I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Well, pastor, I didn't see a reward in there at all. Oh, it's there. The reward's there. Do you know what a servant's reward is? Here's what I've discovered. A true servant finds satisfaction. He finds his reward in helping others. Come on. Paul says, man, I've looked everywhere. And I don't have anybody else that's like Timothy. Timothy's got a heart Timothy loves you. Timothy knows all about you, and he still loves you. There's not a single person out there like Timothy. Man, and I'm ready to send Timothy to you, and Timothy's ready to come to you. Timothy's excited to be used for the kingdom of God. Timothy is prepared for this moment. Timothy can't wait to show up and share the good news. Timothy received a servant's reward, a true servant does not need the approval of those around them, but gives glory and honor where glory and honor is due. Timothy was going to receive his satisfaction by being sent to the church of Philippi. But you see, Paul gives us two examples. The first is young Timothy. He had spent a lot of time investing in Timothy. And again, Timothy had a servant's heart. He 
had a servant's demeanor. He received a servant's reward. But there's a second ordinary individual that Paul begins to talk about. It's Epaphroditus. I think some of you need to have another kid and name him Epaphroditus. There you go. Missionary kids here, Epaphroditus is the name. Let's look at Epaphroditus this morning. Number one, Epaphroditus was a balanced Christian. A balanced Christian. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. My first thought is I look at Epaphroditus and I thought he's no Timothy. Because he doesn't love them like Timothy does. But you see, we can all learn something from different people. And I think we can learn something from Epaphroditus. Even though he didn't quite have the heart that Timothy had, Epaphroditus had been there before, but he's ready and willing to go back. And we see that he had a balanced life. Why is that so important? You see, if your life, more specifically your spiritual life, is not in balance, if you haven't done regular checkups and maintenance in your spiritual life, by the way, the Bible says that we are to examine ourselves. We are to do a once-over in our lives. We are to check and make sure that, that Jesus is there. And if we're not finding Jesus in our life somewhere, guess what? He's missing, right? If we're not balancing our life, if we're not doing those regular checkups, if we're not making sure that our pri priorities are in the correct order, if we're simply out of balance, there is no way that God can use us the way he desires to use us. How do we get our lives in balance? Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time allowing other believers to invest in you. By the way, did you know that life group, well, you, you got it by now. <laughs> Spend time investing in other believers. Let me ask this question. Is there a difference between a balanced life and a balanced Christian life? Is there a difference? Absolutely there is. You cannot compartmentalize your life and truly remain effective. You can't say, well, today I'm putting on my work week hat, and that's who I'm going to be all week long, and then Sunday, oh, glory to God, I've got my church hat on right? No, you got to have a balanced Christian life. That who you are here is who you are there. That you allow all that Jesus is, right? We talked about this a moment ago, to flow through you every moment, every step you take. We sing a song, it's his breath in my lungs. He's the one that breathed life into us. We've got to allow that life to be translated, just like Timothy. We've got to allow it to be a part of our demeanor, part of who we are. Cannot compartmentalize our lives and truly be effective. Your integrity will quickly become compromised and your credibility will be destroyed. 
Let me say that again. If we begin to compartmentalize our lives, if we put our Christian life over here and we separate it from our family life and we separate it from our work life and we separate it from our hobby life and we separate it from our extracurricular life and all these different departments, you're soon going to find yourself spiraling, compromising, and your credibility will be destroyed. Grab a hold of that this morning. So number one, Epaphroditus was a balanced Christian. Number two, he was a burdened Christian. What do I mean by he was a burdened Christian? Well, look at verse 26, 27, and 30. Paul says, I am sending him, Epaphroditus, because he has been longing to see you. Epaphroditus has been longing. He can't wait to see the church of Philippi. He was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God. Oh, that'll preach right there. That's another story for another time. That's another message for another time. We're in the midst of opposition. We're in the midst of struggle. We're in the midst of problems. We are at death's door. But God. Right? Oh, see, that should have made some of you want to slap your mama this morning. That's good stuff right there. No matter what we face in life, no matter what we go through, God will step into your situation. God will meet you right where you are today. Amen. Amen. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. Verse 30. But he risked his life for the work of Christ. He was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. What is so important about being a burdened Christian? Again, Epaphrodite said he was longing to be with the church of Philippi. He was distressed that they were concerned about him. What's so important about being a burdened Christian? See, by allowing our hearts to be burdened for one another, for, by allowing our hearts to be burdened for the lost, we are keeping our spirits in check. How are we doing that? Because suddenly the focus is no longer on self, but the focus begins to be on what really matters. Do you remember as Jesus was coming to the triumphal entry moment and he got to the edge of Jerusalem? The Bible says he paused at the edge of Jerusalem and he began to weep, right? Why was he crying? Was he crying because he knew the crucifixion was soon? No. No, he began to weep because he could see the hearts and the lives of the people that were so far away from God. When is the last time that your heart broke for your community? When's the last time that maybe you were pulling into town and you saw the city limit sign? Sedalia, Green Ridge, Windsor, Warsaw, Warrensburg, Nelson, wherever you happen to be from, and you see that city limit sign, and you see the number of people in that community, and suddenly you came to realization of the hundreds and thousands of people that were lost without Jesus Christ. Epaphrodites had a burdened heart for the lost. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And now in Galatians chapter 6, it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We've got to carry the burdens of one another. Again, we were not ever designed to be alone. We need one another. And finally, Epaphrodites was a blessed Christian. He was balanced, he was burdened, and now he was blessed. Look what it says in verse 28. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you. For I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. He was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Where did his blessing come from? Did Epaphroditus, did his blessing come from financial gain? Did it come from material items? No. See, the problem with our lives is oftentimes we equate blessing with finance. Or we equate blessing with everything going great. Come on, look at this. Epaphrodites was at death's door just a short time before this. We equate blessing with happiness. But the problem is the word happiness, to me, evokes thoughts of Christmas morning. Everybody gathered around the tree reading the Christmas story, then diving in to all the gifts and then sitting around eating homemade donuts. That's happiness. Or maybe it's walking along the beach, picking up seashells. Maybe it's out by the campfire, listening to the crackle of the fire, or sitting on the back porch, drinking your cup of coffee in the brisk, cool morning. Maybe for you, happiness is that moment that you get a call from your boss and you're getting that financial bonus that you weren't really expecting. You see, we all want to be happy. Many times we'll go to almost any extent to achieve real happiness. But what happens? What happens when the toys begin to rust? When loved ones pass away? When the party is over and the sun goes down, then where do we turn? Our happiness oftentimes flees and despair, discouragement, doubt set in. We read stories and it ends with this, and they live happily ever after. With that, what comes to mind? A fairy tale. Why? Because there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. See, Paul's not really talking about happiness in this moment. 
In chapter 4, verse 4, he makes this statement. Always be full of joy. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to use three more words. In the Lord. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Those three little words, they change everything. See, we're not required as believers to put on a false mask. But Paul's instructing us here to grab a hold of the joy of the Lord. That's where Epaphroditus found his blessing. So in contrast to happiness stands joy. It's running deeper and stronger. Joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and God's work in our lives. And He is with us no matter what. And here's the good news. You don't have to be a superhero. That's good news. See, Paul used two ordinary people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Ordinary guys. You don't have to be a superhero. You just have to be willing. Lord, what do you have? We simply need to rest in the arms of the one that's guided in his hands. And I believe that it's time for us, the believer, to begin to move forward for Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, God, I call out to you right now. We need you in this place. God, we can't do all of this by ourselves. We need your help. Would you help us, God? to have a servant's heart? Would you help us to allow that to translate to the outside of who we are? Would you help us to resemble you? Help us to be balanced in all that we do, all that we say? We need you right now. Church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I've got to ask, you're here this morning, and you say, Pastor, I don't have Jesus in my life I haven't asked him to come in and forgive me of my sin if you're here today and that's you maybe maybe you prayed the prayer earlier in the service for the very first time I want to encourage you this morning I've got some information I want to give you on the onset of things but if that's you in this moment you haven't prayed that prayer or you need to return back to God would you raise your hand today, would you let me pray with you? All across the house. My second question is this. You're here today. You're watching online right now. And you say, Pastor, I want to be used for the kingdom of God. I want to be more like Jesus. But I need His help. 
that's you, would you raise your hand? Yeah, I've got hands going up all over. Let me pray with you today. Would you stand with me all across the house? Lord, right now, God, I pray right now for every person, every individual, every life, every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room or watching online right now. God, I ask that you will step in, Lord, that you will help us. Lord, help us to be your examples. Help us to be your hands, your feet, your voice to a world that's so broken, that's so lost, that's so separated from you. Lord, I pray right now for an outpouring of your spirit, an outpouring of your strength and encouragement, God, upon each and every person in this room right now. Lord, for every person that's watching online, God, would you help us right now, Lord, not to be satisfied with where we are, but Lord, desire to long to be more like you, to do what you've called us to do. We need you, God. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.